Need more true crime in your life? An Audible membership can solve that. Audible is the ultimate destination for thrilling audio entertainment. As an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog. Don't miss The Serial Killer's Apprentice by Katherine Ramsland and Tracy Allman. It follows the true story of how Houston's deadliest murder turned a kid into a killer in training. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash 48 hours or text 48 hours to 500-500. That's audible.com slash 48 hours or text 48 hours to 500-500 to try Audible free for 30 days. Audible.com slash 48 hours. June's Journey is a fascinating hidden object mystery gaming app where you'll play as June Parker, tasked with a daunting obligation, solve your sister's murder. Set in the 1920s, the era of glitz and glam, this family mystery is one for the ages. Everyone's a suspect until your investigation determines otherwise. The clues are all around you, hidden within tricky twists and turns. You'll collect detailed information about each character in your photo album where you'll comb over every detail. You can even join a detective's club to chat and play with others or against them in the detective's league. With hundreds of puzzles to solve, you should probably get started today. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. People from all over the country come to Los Angeles, all over the world, really. You know, they're all chasing a dream. My name's Scott Johnson. I'm a senior writer at The Hollywood Reporter. Blake Libel is the son of a wealthy Toronto real estate developer who, in his early 20s, moved to Hollywood to pursue a career in entertainment, film, and uh, graphic novels. The storyline is about when a new planet enters our solar system. He took up with this woman, um, Yana Kassian. I think for a lot of women, Blake was a good catch. Yana was raised in Ukraine. She was a very curious and adventurous-seeking type of person. She fell in love with L.A., shared her experiences with her her mother. Did she think that this man was the man she wanted to marry and have children with? Yes, I was in agreement with her. She really wanted to have a baby. He was a perfectly normal, happy person sitting with his new family. Something must have happened. He has a brother, Cody Libel. Cody drives a series of very rare, very expensive Ferraris, owns multi-million dollar homes around town. He's the flashy brother. He's the flashy one, yeah. Cody Libel was an amateur gambler, played in a local game called Molly's Game, which later became a movie. I was in a room with movie stars, directors, and business titans. 
They were going all in, all the time. There were a number of high-rolling poker players who were part of this game. This is the Russian Mafia, and the three are tied together in the indictment through a poker game. Blake was concerned about his brother's gambling. He started to become very paranoid that his brother was indebted to mobsters. He was worried that there were people associated with that game who might threaten him or his family with bodily harm. I had this feeling that something was wrong. Police swarmed this building after a mother's intuition told her something was not right with her daughter. I would like my police to come over to my daughter's apartment. Nothing on the phone prepared us for what we were walking into. And I asked them, where is my daughter? And they didn't answer. It's hard to talk about it without kind of gagging. It's not often that a 48-hours correspondent would caution a homicide detective about the language they use to describe a crime scene. The blood evidence in this case told me that this was a prolonged and brutal crime. The deeper you dig, the more mysterious it becomes. This case reads like a movie script. It's just more like a horror movie. huge police presence out here. In terms of murders, it's far and away the most grisly, awful story I've ever covered. As horror stories go, says Scott Johnson, a writer for The Hollywood Reporter and a 48 Hours consultant, it doesn't get any darker than the death of Yana Kassian. For her mother, Olga, the news was unbearable. I am the mom whose daughter was being murdered. And I did not do anything to prevent that from happening. Until the moment Olga learned Yana had been brutally killed, her 30-year-old daughter's life had seemed charmed. The sunny glamour of Los Angeles is about as far as you can get from the freezing winters of Kiev, Ukraine. She wanted to live in a huge, strong country. She really loved it. Yana was a tax lawyer in her late 20s when she moved to L.A., where she was learning to work as a translator, says the family's attorney, Jake Finkel. Her biggest dream was to, you know, have children or raise a family here in the United States. 
and it seemed like all of her dreams were about to come true when she met and fell in love with the incredibly wealthy Blake Libel. He, by all accounts, was friendly, and people appreciated him. We find a new enemy that's about 12 to 18 feet, and they ride and control dinosaurs like dogs. Blake, an aspiring Hollywood producer, speaking here at a comic book convention, had millions of dollars inherited from his family in Toronto. He was sort of born into the lap of luxury. But Blake's life was complicated. He had every advantage, but one of the things that I learned was that from a very early age, he felt jealous of his brother's attention from the father. And were they close or is this Cain and Abel? I think it's a little of both. Cody, the older brother, developed real estate and owned a record label. The family's wealth came from both sides. On his mother's side, his grandfather started a, a plastics empire. Jake Edmiston is a reporter in Toronto for the National Post and a 48 Hours consultant. On the father's side, he's a major Toronto developer. So both of them brought a, a substantial amount of wealth uh, to the marriage. But the parents separated, and they separated the children. Cody would live with his father in the most expensive area of the city, while Blake was raised by his mother here in what many consider to be the second most expensive area in Toronto. Would you say that this is a neighborhood where if children are growing up here, this is a life of privilege? I would say wealth and privilege, yeah. But in Blake's case, money did not mean happiness. His relationship with his father was strained. After his mother died in 2011, Blake waged a court battle over her estate. What was the estate worth? Millions and millions of dollars. According to court records, about 12 million. Blake ended up with less than half, which by most accounts was still a lot of money. Blake continued his quest to write and direct in Hollywood. Was he taken seriously or is this just a, a rich kid who came in and it was pay to play? Some people found him to be sort of like a goofy trust funder who was just sort of playing with daddy's money, but other people said that he was hardworking, that he, you know, poured his, his energies into these projects and really wanted to succeed. I'm 20 years old and I'm losing all of my hair. Blake directed a low-budget film called Bald, about a college student who tries to raise money for his hair transplant by creating a website featuring female students. He worked on an animated series called Spaceballs that stemmed from a Mel Brooks movie. But his biggest project was a graphic novel called Syndrome that he hoped to turn into a television show. Blake's ambition, and probably his money, drew beautiful women to him. In 2006, long before Yana was in Los Angeles, he met Amanda Braun, a model who would become his wife. His wife, Amanda, was and has been described as the one who would, you know, urge them to go to the Chateau Marmont, to get out, see people, go to parties. And he was kind of more retiring. He liked to stay at home and look at comics. He was, he was sort of a homebody. The couple had a son together, but just as another baby was on the way, Blake picked up and left. He left her very abruptly. In the summer of, of 2015, she was about to give birth to their second child. And he took up with this woman, Yana Kassian. 
and he told Yana his marriage was over. It looks like things are actually going pretty well. They're taking trips. There's lots of dinners out. He buys her a very expensive Mercedes. They moved into this condo. It was amazing news. We were so happy. All of us were so happy. Olga was aware Blake's romantic life was rather unsettled, to say the least. He kept telling Yanichka that he was either already divorced or in the process of divorcing his wife. Olga flew to L.A. to meet the man who said he was going to marry her daughter and to help with the baby. A few days later, a little girl named Diana was born on Olga's 60th birthday. Yana was happy. She was very happy. And he too. Father, mother, daughter, beautiful. In the first few days after Diana was born, Blake certainly seemed content with his new family. Did he seem like a, a good man? And, and was he kind to Yana? Yes, because uh, he always kissed her, and he kept saying Lubimaya in Russian, which means my beloved. That picture of the happy family was a stark contrast to a fear Blake felt a year earlier. And he was expressing these fears in these text messages to a very close friend. In Blake's mind, he believed his brother Cody may have had big gambling debts, and those poker-playing Russian mobsters posed a serious threat to everyone Blake loved. Texting, these people Cody owes money to are dangerous. Like his younger brother, Blake, Cody Libel lived loud. He's a big man about town, you know, loves fast cars, fast lifestyle. He was much more of a public figure and, and a public presence. Cody played in that high-stakes poker circuit depicted in the movie Molly's Game. Frequented by celebrities and some shady rich men, including, reportedly, members of the Russian Mafia. Close friends of both Cody and Blake have told me that Cody, in at least one case, was taken for a large amount of money by some of these other more experienced poker players. How large? Over a million dollars, I heard. Blake was afraid that the people associated with the gambling game posed a mortal threat to him and members of his family. As Blake's earlier texts revealed, but as investigators began to unravel Yana's murder, they discovered more immediate pressures on Blake that painted a disturbing picture. He had made choices that ensnared him with three different women simultaneously, and that was kind of catching up to him. In early 2016, Blake Leibel's personal life had become very complicated. He'd moved out of this house here in Beverly Hills and was in the throes of a divorce with his wife, Amanda. Meanwhile, he was living here at the West Hollywood condo with Yana. And on top of that, he was seeing a third woman, Constance Bukafuri, who lived in this posh little home a couple of miles away, which was also owned by Blake. His life had become an unwieldy love-hate 
quadrangle. So he was going between Yana and Constance, the condo and this house. And this house, that's correct. He's living multiple lives. Roth Martindale and Bill Cotter investigated Yana's murder for the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department. They say that in mid-May 2016, less than a week before Yana's killing, Constance accused Blake of sexually assaulting her in this house. I believe that something occurred here, some unwanted touching occurred in this house by Blake. Blake was arrested and held in jail. Yana had to help bail him out. It probably was a source for tension between the two. Blake was never prosecuted, but his affair was revealed to Yana. And she must have been asking Blake, like, what's going on here? Like, we just had a baby together. Like, why aren't you at home helping me with the kid? I need your help. Olga says her daughter's dream of life in America was quickly turning into a nightmare. Yana was so afraid of losing Blake, she agreed to let her newborn daughter live with her mother in a separate apartment a few miles away paid for by Blake. That way, Yana could focus on her relationship with Blake, who had suddenly become uninterested in the new baby. He constantly demanded sex and that he could leave her for another woman. Yana was still recovering from a C-section. He threatened to leave her for another woman if she didn't have sex with him? Yes, he even said that to her. To Olga, Yana seemed intimidated by Blake. He was controlling her like a hawk. He wanted her to do everything he wanted. Olga begged her daughter to move on from Blake and move in with her and the baby. And what would she say? She would run back to him. On May 23, 2016, Yana, seen on this security video, went shopping with her mother. Later in the day, Olga says Yana started getting texts from Blake. Upon receiving those texts, she would change like a chameleon. Her facial expression changed. After those texts, she would say, I'm going to him. So she left. She did. The next afternoon, Olga had trouble reaching her daughter. I did try to call her, and the calls went to the voice message. Six calls with no response. All of a sudden, I had this feeling that I have to go there. Call it mother's intuition. Just out of the blue, you had a, a feeling that you had to go to Yana and check on her? Yes. I wanted to go there, but the baby was sleeping. She called the police. They put me on hold for a very long time, and then eventually they found a girl who could speak Russian. After you call the police, do they go to the condo to check on her? I don't know. I called them again and again and again. Finally, she decided it was up to her. The morning after, I just called a taxi and rushed there myself. Uh, help, uh, help me. She's like a, a tiger trying to get to her cub. She wanted to get in that room. Listen to Olga's 911 call on Facebook at 48 Hours.
By Wednesday morning, Olga was frantic. For two days, she had not seen her daughter. As this security video shows, Olga went to Yana and Blake's condo with a friend and tried desperately to get into the gated property. And I went across the street from that building to look at the patio. Olga says she looked up at their third floor apartment and saw a man standing in the window. And I started calling, Blake, Blake. You saw Blake inside from the street? I did. And then another resident opened the gate. I ran to that apartment. I was knocking at the door. I was ringing the bell. No answer. So again, she called police. This time, uniformed officers showed up. And I kept telling them, here he is, here he is, break the door. And they said that they had no right to break the door because they couldn't hear anybody screaming inside. There's also no indication that there was any foul play going on at that time. So the decision was made at that time not to go into the, the complex. Police tried to call Blake. Hello, this message is for Blake Libel. This is the West Hollywood Sheriff's Station. We're here at your apartment, and we need to speak to you immediately, sir. Blake did not respond. Police waited outside for a few hours and then eventually left. Are you angry that they didn't respond and listen to you on that Tuesday and on Wednesday? I am angry. Angry and overwhelmed. Convinced Yana was inside, Olga was torn. She did not want to leave Blake's condo, but she had to get back home to her infant granddaughter, who was being cared for by a friend. I was feeling that fear, a fear of police, fear of leaving the baby alone. The next morning, Thursday, Olga was back at the apartment and back on the phone, uh, help, uh, help me the begging the police uh, for help. Please hold for the Russian interpreter. I want the police to come and uh, free my daughter. Finally, police agreed. It was time to go in. They were concerned that Yana might be in medical distress because she had recently given birth. Tell her yes, I'm here. that we'll go ahead and send somebody over, but she has to be there. When they arrived, I wanted to lead them upstairs to the third floor, but they told me to sit near the main entrance to so the building. So you're, you're sitting outside, and they all go inside. I was outside sitting on the sidewalk. Your left is the door. This is it here. After calling out Sheriff's Department, yelling out Blake's name, Ayana's name, and no answer, they finally obtained a key from the realtor. But when they unlocked it, tried to go inside, they encountered those hotel-style locks, which tells them that somebody's got to be in there. So the decision was made to breach that door. Police break down the front door and enter the condo. The living room is kind of in disheveled look. This animation of the condo, which was later created for the prosecution, shows police immediately ran into several other obstacles. First, the hallway door into the bedrooms is locked and barricaded. So they were forced to actually take the door off the hinges. As police look into the guest bedroom, they see the first signs of a struggle, blood. They call out again to Blake. Still no answer, still no movement. 
After clearing the guest bedroom, they move toward the master bedroom. But that door is also barricaded with a mattress. So as they're trying to push forward, the mattress is pushing it back. But at that same time, a man yells out, Boy Leibel. He is basically saying he's not coming out. And tells them Yana isn't home. Blake calls a friend, seen here on this surveillance tape, rushing into the condo. The friend convinces Blake to open the door and come out of the bedroom. Wearing only boxer shorts, Blake emerges from the room. Detectives Cotter and Martindale are then called to the scene. Been a lot of crime scenes over the years, but uh, walking into that one was was just different. Stepping into the hallway that led to the bedrooms, then things started to appear. They enter the guest bedroom. Started to see blood, saw the bloody headboard, blood on the walls. Then the master bedroom. There was an obvious large blood stain on the wall that someone had tried to clean up. And then they saw Yana. At that point, she was covered to the, to the bottom of her chin. Covered in a Mickey Mouse blanket. At first, she looked almost peaceful. Once her head was off of the pillow, then you could see the full uh, damage. The injuries she suffered were horrific and unspeakable. Yana had been scalped. Her body was eerily and unusually pale. It wasn't simply the killing of somebody, it was... Uh, Sadistic. Blake had scratches and bruises on his face and a bite mark on his arm. She fought. She fought hard. valiantly. Police also found a pair of Blake's pants with his passport and $4,000 stuffed in a pocket. What did it tell you? That this was a man who was probably going to dispose of Ayana completely, clean up the condo, and then probably flee this country back to his native Canada. Police arrest Blake. By then, Olga had made her way into the building. And then I saw Blake handcuffed, and uh, they were leading him out. I did not really pay attention to him. I kept looking at that door because I thought that they would bring my Yana out. I was crying out. I was screaming, where is my daughter? And right here on the floor, right behind you, mm -hmm. is where Olga's leaning against the wall. This is where you had to tell Olga. This is where I had to inform her that her daughter had been killed. I tried to crawl to that apartment. I was screaming, but they did not let me in. Detectives questioned Blake, seen here oddly smiling in his arrest photo, but he denied having anything to do with Yana's gruesome death or the horrific crime scene. Did he give any explanation of what he thought happened to Yana? Like, who would have done this to her? He gave no reasonable explanation, actually no explanation at all, other than he said, really the point of thing was, science is going to tell you who did this. And the science would shock everyone. Wow. Yes. It's stunning to see that much. Yes.
for me, there's like, what the hell happened? Blake Leibel told police the science would tell them just what happened to Yana, and it did. All right, so walk me through what you saw when you went in. As soon as I walked in, leaning against this bookshelf was a mattress. Leslie Thompson is a crime scene specialist with the L.A. County Sheriff's Department. So what really struck me about this scene in general was really the lack of blood. That the lack of blood? The lack of blood that was present. For a murder this brutal, she expected a lot more. So where did it all go? Thompson set up a demonstration. All right, so you've prepped this horse. This is a piece of linoleum that you've put animal blood. That's correct. And to my naked eye here, I just see some blood spatter that's right here. She showed us how she can analyze what happened, even if there's not a lot to see. So this is actually, I like to call it Luminol 2.0. It's called Blue Star Magnum. It's a chemical compound that, when sprayed on a surface, reveals where blood was and where a cleaning substance was used to remove it. It creates a luminescence or uh, it creates light. It's a search tool for blood that you cannot see with the naked eye. Okay, let's see what it does. Wow. Oh, you can see the footprints, the wiping. When investigators first came into the master bedroom, they noticed some blood stains on the mattress, but that was all they could see. Okay, let's bring up the blue star. Wow. Then the bathroom. This is what it looked like when you walked in, essentially? Essentially, yes. Okay, now bring up the blue star. Wow. And so this, none of this you could really see clearly? Uh, you couldn't see it at all. The guest bedroom also lit up. In fact, much of the condo was splashed with luminescence. It lit up. It, and it, it lit up in a bad way. Even though we had been in there now for two days, until she did that and lit this up, and then all of a sudden, at least I gained a much better appreciation for what happened there. What was the story it said to you about Yana and what happened to her? The story was uh, this event didn't just happen quickly in one location. And perhaps most shocking of all is how Yana died. It's called exsanguination. Am I saying it correctly? Yes. There's a new vocabulary word. I've been a crime reporter for 25 years and I've not heard this First one. time I've heard it as well. Exsanguination, meaning the blood had been drained from her body. That's why Yana was so pale. Detectives believe it took between six and eight hours for Yana to die. It was clear Yana's killer had tried to cover up any incriminating blood evidence, wiping down floors and walls. But where did all those cleaning materials, as well as the bedding and clothing, go? And this is the chute, so... That's it. Everything went down here? Yes. Almost
Almost immediately after they arrived, detectives noticed how close the trash chute was to the apartment. And so this is the chute that came from the third floor to, right. to the trash dump. Detective Cotter and his team collected 11 trash bags from the dumpsters, each filled with an abundance of evidence, towels, clothing, and bedding. One particular item stood out, a bed skirt with this bloody handprint. As you can see, it appears part of the pinky finger is missing. Turns out Blake was missing part of his right pinky finger. Match for match, just match for match. pinky missing. Yes. Everything at the scene pointed to Blake as the killer. There was no other suspects. It was, it was clear as to what occurred. This murder had nothing to do with Russian mobsters or jealous girlfriends. There's no concrete evidence that Cody actually had big gambling debts, only that Blake believed he did. In fact, Blake never mentioned any scenario that pointed away from him. It also wasn't a drug-fueled attack. Only a small amount of marijuana was found in his system. So why did Blake kill Yana? Detectives struggled to find a motive. Now, I was trying to extract something to explain right. what can cause a man to do this to a woman he professed to love and was engaged to. Did you get anything from that interview that answered that question? When he said, women don't like me, and he alluded to the fact that if it wasn't for money, women wouldn't like me. I think that he's a person that controlled the women in his life with money. And I think at some point there was probably no was said to him. And I think he said, you don't say no to me because I control the pocketbook. And I think that ultimately caused her demise. Still, a crime this unconscionable doesn't usually come out of nowhere, which is why detectives even tried looking into Blake's background. We ran into roadblocks. Not a lot of people would talk to us, uh, nor none of his family would. We also searched for answers. Here in Toronto, we approached virtually everyone we could find from Blake's early life. Family members, classmates, even teachers. And here in L.A., we tried to talk to everyone from his adult life, his wife, girlfriends, and friends. But no one, not one of them, was willing to go on camera and talk about him. Did you find anything in his background, any history, any whiff of a story that he was a violent or abusive or strange kid or teenager? No, none of Toronto none of reporter Jake Edmiston. Uh, speaking to people who knew him in different phases of his life, all of them are, are as shocked as, as we are. You know, the big question is, he must be crazy. Look at what he did. You know, he's tortured this woman. But Blake is not crazy, says forensic psychologist and 48 Hours consultant Chris Mohandy, who worked with the prosecution on this case. So you can do outrageous, heinous, terrible things to other people, but that's different than being found insane or incompetent in the eyes of the law. Mohandi never met Blake, but a court-ordered psychiatrist did and found Blake fit to stand trial. Mohandi says that's because Blake Libel understands right from wrong, which is the legal standard. It's shocking what he did, but it's not surprising what he did. 
Mohandi points to Blake's background, a rich kid alienated from his father at a young age with a need for power and control over women. He's always gotten everything he wants when he wants it, but he also has an underlying violent fantasy life that he's been mentally rehearsing for years. And so when the rage comes out, it takes the form of those fantasies. The fantasies? Remember that graphic novel Blake was working on years before Yana's murder? Turns out it was about a vicious killer, and it was soon to take center stage in Blake's story. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. In June, two years after Yana's murder, a very different-looking Blake libel went on trial. Even without a clear motive, prosecutor Beth Silverman was sure once the jury saw that graphic novel, they would convict him of Yana's murder. This crime appears to be patterned after the defendant's book, Syndrome. But would that be enough? Tell me about when you heard the verdict. See more of the crime scene animation at 48hours.com. What this book provides, this syndrome, it provides a blueprint for this murder. Prosecutor Beth Silverman believes Blake was acting out a fantasy from his graphic novel, which shows a doll with its scalp missing on the cover. Inside, more chilling details. The depiction of two victims hanging upside down in order to drain the blood or to exsanguinate the blood from these fictional bodies. Prosecutors say that during the prolonged period Blake was torturing Yana, over and over and over again, he somehow manages to have food delivered several times, as this security footage shows. We know that the defendant had ample time to stop and change his mind. He chose to commit these horrendous crimes against Deanna Cassio. They also present all that blood evidence from the crime scene. Just to be clear, this is all the victim's blood. And along with the jury, Olga sees dozens of graphic photos of Yana. How a human could do such a thing. And for the first time, here's exactly how profoundly her daughter suffered. Why did you feel the need to sit through the trial and to sit through the details? Yeah, you're your mom. I am her mom, and I must put all her pain through me. I asked them to give me those pictures, those photos. I wanted to hug each of those photos and kiss each of those photos. Olga says someone who loved Yana needed to bear witness to all that she had gone through. Blake's brother Cody was in court every day but declined our request for an interview. Their father did not attend the trial. After six days of testimony from 14 prosecution witnesses, the defense calls none of its own. Instead, lawyer Haida Takasugi tries to create reasonable doubt 
arguing that Blake didn't actually author that graphic novel. He hired writers. They brought the story to life, and it was presented for Mr. Libel for his approval. And we believe, as is your duty as jurors, and you will, critically look at the evidence. We believe that you will realize its shortcomings and downfalls, that the only verdict in this case would be not guilty for the charges and all the special allegations. But the prosecution has the last word. This obviously was a vicious, a horrific, a gruesome, sadistic, unspeakably evil set of crimes. And it's your job in this case to seek justice. It takes the jury just three hours to reach a verdict. The clerk will read the verdicts. We, the jury, find the defendant, Blake Libel, guilty of first-degree murder of Ayanna Kazian. Blake shows no emotion, but out in the hallway, the Olga is overcome. She just wants to scream, Yanochka, Yanochka, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I couldn't save you. when you heard the verdict, but you're very emotional about it. Yeah. Given what we knew about the case, I did take it home, and it it hung like a, like a picture on the wall for me. I mean, I have two daughters. Rob has one daughter. You know, as fathers, there's that, that paternal instinct. Olga says while she appreciates the detectives, she is also haunted by the knowledge that her instinct to call the police was not enough to save her daughter. Do you believe if they had broken down the door on Wednesday when you were there with them, that she would still be here today? I think so, yes. It's a difficult question to answer, but I think based on, if we look at the timeline from the pathologist standpoint, I believe she might have already been dead at that point. The defendant's profound brutality. Blake is sentenced to life in prison without parole and his inconceivable cruelty. With both Blake and Yana gone, the focus is now on their two-year-old daughter, Diana. Nothing can ever make the death of Ayana right, but I'm hoping that the Liable family does something honorable and, and assist in her time of need. But Olga says she has never heard from anyone in the Liable family. One would think that, um, you know, they would attempt to reach out to Olga, seeing as that Olga's granddaughter is also a granddaughter of Blake's father and a niece to Blake's brother. There has not been one cent paid from their family to support Diana. More than anything in the world, Yana wanted her daughter to be brought up in America. But because of a lack of money, Diana is now living in the Ukraine in the town where Yana was laid to rest. For some reason, I want to keep talking about her. It makes my life easier. I feel her presence every day, every minute. Olga has filed a wrongful death lawsuit against the Libo family. Any proceeds will go to Diana. Diana is an American citizen. Olga is still hoping to raise her in the United States.
Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Allow your imagination to be piqued by stories that are brought to life through captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances. As an Audible member, you'll be able to keep your heart rate up month after month because you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. If you're in the mood for a shocking psychological thriller, check out None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. Embrace brand new exclusive thrillers from bestselling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. That's audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. When the matriarch of a prominent Princeton family is found stabbed to death in her locked basement, investigators look from a serial attacker to her family to Princeton University students. One hot-blooded investigator sees a conspiracy— Is he way off base, or does privilege let you get away with murder? You can listen to In the Shadow of Princeton exclusively and ad-free with Wondery Plus. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or Apple Podcasts. Always on the go? Well, now you can take CBS Mornings with you. Wake up to your daily dose of news and interviews on CBS Mornings On The Go. It's a podcast you can listen to CBS Mornings On The Go ad-free on Wondery Plus.